Senators are heading home to their states for the next week with something that they thought was going to be done by now one way or the other. Definitely not done. The health care replacement bill that the Republicans have been struggling to advance all year remains a struggled work in progress. I'm David Hawking, senior editor of CQ Roll Call, and I'm here in the studio for this week's Big Story podcast with senior Senate correspondent Niels Nasnuski to talk about the future of the health care bill, why it's such a mangled mess, and what this week at home with their constituents will do to shape the debate. Good morning, Niels. Good to be with you. Niels, there's so many, there are hours of, of things that we could talk about and many, many different ways we could talk about this. But I, I guess to spin it forward, we should begin by saying, is there, what are the prospects that when senators go home this week, um, their minds will be shaped to like this bill better than to dislike it? It's extremely unpopular in polling, doesn't seem to be getting any better. What, what do the Republican leadership, Mitch McConnell, hope, what is their argument that a week back home will improve his chances for passing this bill? I think the argument is the time more than the location. So there had been some concerns. Uh, frankly, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, for instance, seemed as much concerned about the uh, timeline and people not having an opportunity to digest the effect of the uh, bill on uh, provisions like the premiums and that people pay for for health insurance, as much as the substance of the measure, and and Johnson was quick to come out uh, and say basically that he would probably be against the motion to proceed if it came up uh, for a procedural vote too soon. Uh, there are people with a number of of substantive challenges, but to some extent, uh, the first question will be how much the next uh, discussion draft, whether it's made public or not. Uh, differs from the one that uh, has already been circulating, and how much of this is a marketing exercise as much as it is uh, substantive changes. Uh, great point. So, so as we understand it, after after Senator McConnell called off the vote uh, on Tuesday, and he it's back to the drawing board. He is hoping to come up with some new version of this bill uh, before the weekend presumably send it to the Congressional Budget Office, the official scorekeepers of how much legislation costs, and have them work on it over the recess, maybe without the public seeing the new version. That might be the case. It's not clear yet whether the intention is uh, to release the new bill or the new uh, draft of a CBO score, Uh, but certainly the goal will be to have uh, sort of the work behind the scenes done uh, by the time senators uh, return uh, so that they have had an opportunity to to digest what's going on, uh, and also to 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 have conversations uh, with constituents uh, about about various provisions. I think that the big question will be the extent to which um, senators who are supportive of the the bill, at least in in principle, are meeting with uh, constituents who are Medicaid recipients. Versus they are meeting with hedge fund managers who would probably get a tax cut as a result of uh, the elimination of the, the dividend uh, provisions in the bill. So there's the, sort of that question of, of who exactly do you meet with over July 4th. So you wrote a great story uh, that appeared the morning after Senator McConnell pulled the bill that essentially said uh, pulling the bill only made the Republicans' challenges 
deeper and more profound. Uh, when the um, when the bill was first released, soon after the bill was first released, four of the 52 senators announced that they couldn't vote for it in its present form. As you and I are speaking, I think arguably the number of people who are inclined to vote against it has gone up to nine or maybe even 10. In other words, 20% of Senate Republicans. They fall into two different camps. Uh, there are those who think the bill uh, is too generous, uh, who want a true repeal. These are the, the most conservative senators. Uh, and then there are those at the other end of the Republican ideological spectrum who think the bill is too stingy. Uh, and it seems like if you've only got two votes to spare, 52 votes, you lose two votes, you've got 50, Mike Pence breaks the tie. You've got a, It seems very difficult to understand how you can write a bill that would, uh, if there are four people who think it's too stingy and five or six people who think it's too conservative and it can only lose two, how do you do that math? It's hard to figure out how that seesaw balances. But what you probably need to figure out is if there is anyone who can accept basically the other side's uh, changes in exchange for also getting their own. So you need to know whether someone like Ted Cruz or Mike Lee or Rand Paul in the, the more conservative block can live with an additional influx of uh, Medicaid money or um, funding to combat uh, the uh, opioid abuse issues, if they can live with that, if they can get some more uh, regulations eased. And on the opposite side, if someone like Rob Portman, who seems to be one of the leaders of the camp of uh, needing the additional money to deal with the opioid crisis in Ohio can live with the regulations being eased that someone like Mike Lee wants uh, taken care of. And, and doesn't the longest, the longer this period of renegotiation goes on, which we should just pause for a second and say, this did happen in the House. The House actually came close to voting on a bill. They stopped the debate. Uh, they sort of proclaimed it dead for a while. Then they went back to the drawing board in secret, and they eventually got a bill that narrowly passed. So I guess, in theory, that same rhythm could repeat itself. But isn't it somewhat even more the case in the Senate than the House that the longer this goes on, the more Republican senators are going to enter the bargaining and say, well, look, look, look what these factions have gotten so far. Look what saying no has gotten you so far. Why shouldn't I join this, this bargaining and be a free agent and try and get something for my state or some, get something parochial or get some provision? And that the longer it hangs out there, the more people McConnell has to deal with. That's entirely possible. I mean, there's hard to see how you get the vote of Lisa Murkowski, who is a, a Republican senator from Alaska who, just to remind everyone who has forgotten, once lost a Republican primary and was reelected as a write-in candidate. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't really owe anybody anything. And so to get the vote of Senator Murkowski, it wouldn't surprise me if um, Alaska is going to need some help. And it wouldn't be the first time, by the way, that a senator from Alaska was good at getting help for that state. That's kind of what senators from Alaska have historically done. Right. They, they claim unique, unique economic challenges. And sure, they're, you know, they're all alone up there and they do have unique challenges. It's an incredibly enormous and rural place. Uh, but yes, as you say, going to Washington from Alaska is all about bringing home things 
to solve Alaska's quote unquote unique problems, and they're very expensive problems. So, right, you wouldn't you would expect that Lisa Murkowski could could demand a high price for her vote um, parochially. She also actually opposes the bill on another reason, which is that it would defund Planned Parenthood. She and Susan Collins, who told CNN, I'm very concerned about the cost of insurance for older people with serious chronic illnesses. Just on the Planned Parenthood issue alone, you'd think that they would be uh, no votes. Anyway, back to the, the larger point. Who else is who else has sort of got their, this sounds criminal almost, but sort of has their hand out and says, here, it'll take, grease my parochial palm with some local benefit, and maybe I'll vote for it. Well, that, that to some extent is... is also going to be the 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 question of the the conservatives if you're allowing uh, more conservative states probably southern states largely to waive uh, provisions of the uh, existing health care law uh, as part of this agreement to some extent that's also a a benefit to the the states, uh, particularly because a lot of these are donor states. Excuse me, a lot of them are not donor states. The donor states are generally the East Coast, California states that uh, pay more in taxes, are often subsidizing programs in other states. And so, if you've got a situation, and I don't know that this is how it will break down, but if you end up with a situation where you have states that are waiving a lot of the regulations but still getting the federal money. Uh, that might be a whole separate uh, challenge, and that's another another potential conundrum as this moves forward. You and I would have said before this debate was supposed to get started this week, I think you and I both would have said what I know I said, which was never bet against Mitch McConnell. One of our former colleagues res- uh, described him as um, a legislative MacGyver. He always was able to pull out a solution to the case at the, you know, and right before the last, the credits roll at the end and get something done. Hasn't been able to do that so far. Uh, is there a sense up on the hill that McConnell has overplayed his hand or too clever by half or pick your, pick your cliche there? I'm not sure yet. You know, I think that this sort of deadline, which was really artificial before the, the 4th of July, was uh, McConnell looking at the, the layout and saying, that there's not a whole lot more that's going to change and we need to push people towards a vote. Mm-hmm. And there certainly was a sense that had the uh, motion to proceed been adopted, the procedural uh, vote that really gets the, the train moving, had that been adopted, there had become a sense that over the next day or two after that, they would have figured out a way to get everyone on board. The complication was that people started announcing they would vote against even taking up the bill, and that uh, that made the the math more difficult. We'll see where McConnell ends up uh, on this, uh, but certainly he was trying to create a deadline, knowing perhaps that it gets more difficult as it gets pushed further down the road. But the other thing is that McConnell and and Rand Paul, who are from the same state, to throw his name in here, who's on the conservative side of this. There's no way the Republican bill brings down premiums. Uh, I was talking to Senator Paul the other day, and he said he hadn't really talked to McConnell. He has been a known critic of the package, but the two of them hadn't really talked about it. So there's sort of maybe an opportunity for people to talk who haven't been talking uh, the way this was playing out. 
do you think so? I think we've we've made the good point here that the, this deadline, this sense that it was July Fourth or never, that was a false construct designed to focus everybody's attention. And maybe there there is no legal deadline. It's not like the debt ceiling or government funding running out. It's not as though Obamacare seizes up at some point unless Congress steps in. There is no legal deadline, but there are political and procedural deadlines that um, that sort of compel Senator McConnell to solve this one one way or the other or move on probably by the end of July before the big congressional recess in August. Can you just sort of explain why that's so? Sure. The, the biggest uh, consideration is that Republicans really want to do tax reform under uh, President Trump. And procedurally, in order to do a Republican-only uh, tax code overhaul, uh, which they certainly want to do because they, they think that the Democrats would want to raise taxes if if they were at the bargaining table, uh, in order to do that through the, the procedural uh, expedited budget reconciliation process, uh, you only get one bite at the apple per year. And so if you move on to tax reform, you effectively have to kill off your hopes of doing repeal of the Affordable Care Act. So you can't walk and chew gum at the same time, essentially, and... So that's sort of one pressure. The other one, which you sort of alluded to when you mentioned the debt ceiling and and the government funding, come September, if not before, those will be the actual crises of the day. And there's going to be no time in September uh, to to be dealing with things that are like Republican priorities, things that President Trump and Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and everyone want to do. It'll be keeping the government from shutting down and keeping uh, the economy from collapsing will be items number one and two. So it, mentioning the debt ceiling and appropriations and government shutdown brings us brings me back to McConnell for a minute, which is, to, which is uh, yes, uh, Mitch McConnell uh, is a, a, a Republican leader who is much more a leader because he's a master dealmaker, not because he's a master uh, theoretician or ideologue. He has had some success at making deals in the past, but his secret ingredient uh, to make those deals has been, question mark? Harry Reid? <laughs> it's really a question of the way the Senate normally works is, is that you need 60 votes. Under most circumstances, to avert a filibuster, you need senators from both parties unless you have some sort of super huge majority. And so generally, McConnell's role has been to be the one making the deal with uh, the Democratic leadership, whether it's someone, whether it's Joe Biden or Harry Reid or Nancy Pelosi, it's not been just corralling all of your own people. Now, sometimes you corral all of your own people in opposition when... When, say, Harry Reid, uh, the now-retired uh, senator, was the majority leader, McConnell would frequently round up his troops to oppose whatever Reid wanted to do, but you don't usually do that as a, as a governing principle. And so so that what makes this exercise uh, different, certainly, is that you're trying to come up with something where only your factions are involved. Yes, he, he stood on the White House driveway um, and said... Either Republicans will agree and change the status quo, or the markets will continue to collapse, 
and we'll have to sit down with Senator Schumer. And my suspicion is that any negotiation with the Democrats uh, would include none of the reforms that we would like to make, both on the market side and the Medicaid side. But he knows full well uh, that come the fall, he will have to take other uh, tactics to get other things done uh, and to help President Trump do what um, he hasn't done so far uh, and which every other new president in modern times has been able to do, which is get at least one campaign promise enacted into the law in the first six months of his presidency. Uh, We will be keeping, obviously, a close eye on this. Uh, Thankfully, those of us at CQ Roll Call will have my guest, Niels Lesniewski, in the Senate gallery watching this at all time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm David Hawking, senior editor at Roll Call. You've been listening to the Big Story podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or NPR One.